and turn near the end of the Bible to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter, if, you, if it helps you to go all the way to the end to the book of Revelation and then turn back to hang a left, so to speak, you can do that. You're near the end of the Bible. Not quite the end. 1 Peter. going to read chapter 1. If you would listen, follow along carefully. By the way, if you need a Bible, would you please let us know? After the service, we'd be glad to give you one. If that is a need that you have, because you do need one. We all do. We need the Word of God. We're going to read 1 Peter chapter 1. Let's give careful attention to the word now. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, this has always been one of my favorites here. Verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's continue reading with verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with, precious blood, but with the precious, precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincerely brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. With our Bibles open, if you're physically able, would you stand for prayer? And let me just say before we pray, I, I always get a little bit excited when we start a new series. As you can already tell by the length of the passage, my, my thought is, is that this would be a some pretty brief series. And the series is First Peter, um, not very long, um, and sometimes that can be a good way to do it because these letters, of course, would have been read to the church all at once. So we'll start here today, and uh, our text today will be First Peter chapter one, verse one through two ten. The big picture: First Peter one one through two ten. Uh, recently, we've looked at Hebrews. Lots in Hebrews, did a little thing on Numbers. Uh, we've been in Genesis a lot, Exodus, Daniel, Revelation, uh, and always do a lot of standalone sermons. So let's, uh, let's pray together. Lord, help us as we, uh, as we embark, I guess, on this new series. Please help us, Lord. We want to humble ourselves even right now under your mighty hand. Lord, even as we acknowledged earlier, we, we fail and we make mistakes and we sin as parents. And so we need your help there. Lord, we confess our sin as your gathered people today as children, as employers, as employees, maybe even because our boss is a Christian or has Christian values, we've thought that we could just, just be friendly with them and not, not do work with excellence. And so we have gone against your scripture. Lord, 
This week we have sinned. This weekend, Lord, we sin daily. And so we confess to you now because we do not want to make you a liar that we are by no means yet perfected, but we are saints in Christ Jesus. Lord, this passage tells us that we've just read that we should have this healthy fear of you. We have just read about fear and joy. So help us, Lord. We desire to bow down before you. We may not be physically prostrating ourselves on our knees, but Lord, we bow before you. You are God. You are worthy. You are creator, and we are not. Humble us this morning, Lord. Take us to the cross of Jesus Christ. Help us through the Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With your Bibles open, still on your feet if you can, look at chapter 2, verse 1. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Listen carefully. He says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Dear friend, have you? is that you this morning? Have you? Can you say? Verse 3, you've tasted that the Lord is good, you may be seated. Thank you so much. Series on 1 Peter, a big view from the sky, so to speak. 1 Peter chapter 1 through chapter 2 verse 10. Let me ask you some questions. How does someone become a Christian? What is God's role and what is our role? How does someone become a Christian? What is God's role and what is our role? What is the significance of the Word of God for the believer? What's the significance of the Word of God for the church? What sort of behavior should be expected within God's family? How can the Christian life be sustained and developed? Well, just look again for a moment, would you? Just look again at verse 1 of chapter 2, where he says, as we, as we just read, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Uh, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed, dear readers and dear hearers, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, he says in verse 4, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. McClay writes this, he says, an old-fashioned steam engine needs to be stoked with fuel. That's That's the input. An old-fashioned steam engine needs to be stoked with fuel in order for the train to move forward. That's the output. In the Christian life, listen Crossway, in the Christian life, 
If there is no input from God's word, then it's no surprise if there's no progress. Similarly, if there's no output in terms of greater love, then something has gone badly wrong. Input and output. There's no pouring in of the fuel of God's word. There's no surprise if there's little progress. And if there's no output of greater increasing love, specifically for the brethren, then something has gone wrong. Now here's what we want to do this morning. I want to pretty pretty quickly just give you an overview. This is a big chunk of scripture, 1-1 through 2-10. But we want to start there by giving an overview. I'm just going to point out to you various things. And then we really want to uh, zero in on a very central command. All right, so that'll be the second thing we do. We'll zero in on a very central command that will be for this sermon, the central command. And then finally, and then finally, we'll kind of go back to our big overview. We'll take one thing from the big overview and conclude with that. All right. So hear the word of the Lord. The first thing that we want to do is number one. Number one is just simply one, one through two, ten. All right. You're taking notes. Number one is one, one through two, ten. Let me just point out some things so that we'll get the lay of the land. All right, let's get the lay of the land. The first thing I want you to see in this passage, as we start with 1 Peter here, I was thinking, you know, we just finished Hebrews. This is not the book right after Hebrews, but many years ago we did, we, we did look at James. So 1 Peter. Uh, notice first of all, um, exiles. Exiles. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. I'm just pointing out seven or eight things here. And the first of those seven or eight things is exiles. Notice verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds... Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways. And the very first verse of our next section, not today's text, but the very first verse of the next section, 2.11, and for, for right now you're going to be flipping back and forth, 2.11, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Exiles, I'll just say very quickly, I don't think he means literal exiles. I think what he's getting at is sojourners, aliens. This world is, are you a believer here this morning? Have you tasted and seen that the Lord is good? Well then, by definition, this world is not your home. We've got to be careful there because we're not just going to heaven when we die. There is a sense in which this world is our home. The new heavens and the new earth. But the Christian should not fit in. The Christian should not fit in with the system of this world. I think that's the main idea that he has with exiles. 1-1-1-17-2-11 We're aliens. Uh... This is our home and it's not our home. Okay, number two, next. 
elect exiles. Not just exiles, but elect exiles. Uh, verse 1. You know that word elect, it just means chosen. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. Well, uh, chapter 2, verse 9, um, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So it's not just exiles, but elect exiles. And you could also throw in there, you could throw in there chapter 1, verse 3. Chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Or he has caused us to be born again. Okay? Exiles, not just exiles, elect exiles. Please notice here, just getting the big view, right? And then we're going to land. We, we, we need something really concrete we need a hook, and we're, gonna, we're, we're getting there. This is the big picture. Uh, this passage is Trinitarian. I want to show you that. very. This is a Trinitarian, the Trinity. The New Testament is Trinitarian. The Bible is Trinitarian. All right, I want to show you this. We are elect exiles, verse 1. Verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. Do you see that? Like, it's so easy to miss that, right? The Trinity. Holy, 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 blessed Trinity. So you see it right there in one verse, in verse 2. Well, then you, it's not just there. Uh, there's, there's three units. If this, if this is helpful to you, in this big section, uh, one unit is 3 through 12. Another unit is 13 through 21, and the final unit is 122 to 210, all right? So in the next unit, you see the Trinity as well. Verse 3, 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 11 inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ, that's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ is the Holy Spirit. Verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The Trinity, uh, massively important. The blood of Christ. Next, the blood of Christ. Verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for what? For sprinkling with His blood. The blood of Christ. Verse 19. We'll go back to verse 18 for just a minute. Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow, the blood of Christ. This next one is very important. They all are, but this one is very obviously important to Peter. And it is hope. Do you have hope this morning? 
You have hope. Hope. Verse 3. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 3. Verse 13. Wit, Wit read this for us. Verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 21 who through Him are believers in God who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And in tandem with hope, hope was 3, 13, and 21. You could easily point out the resurrection of Jesus Christ in verses 3, 21, and it's implied in verse 11. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, verses 3 and 21. Born again. Verse 3, born again, according to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Verse 23, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. While you're there in verse 23, notice it says you're born again, not of perishable, but of imperishable, which is just like verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. The second coming, the second coming, which here is called the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we're, we're about done with this here. Verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the second coming, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Verse 13, the second coming, verse 13. Therefore, Preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, we could continue. I won't, but we could. You can look later. Salvation, joy or rejoicing, Certainly as we go on, it's going to be suffering. And as I said already, near the end, we'll come back to one of these. So, so, so what's the theme? What's, I just gave you like seven or eight things. So what's, what's the big idea of 1-1 through 2-10? Can, can you give me something so that it's just, it's just one thing so that I can think about one thing? Well, you can think about it like this. It's just one thing. God's people... Chosen for glory and in exile. God's people, chosen for glory and in exile. Or you can just boil it down to elect exiles. God's people, chosen for glory, chosen and in exile. Number two, love one another. Peter goes back and forth between truth, gospel truth, and gospel command. There's no shortage of commands, of exhortations here in this passage. He gives a lot of what you might call, if you want to use the fancy words, he gives a lot of imperatives, 
do this, like crave the word, crave the word. But here's the one I want to highlight because I think it's central. Love one another. Pastor James is, has been preaching maybe once a quarter through the book of 1 John. Maybe you've heard the story. Uh, we don't get it straight from the Bible, but maybe you've heard it from church history that John, who wrote the Gospel of John and the letters of John and Revelation, that in his very old age he would preach to the, to the gathered Christians and he would just, it, stories have come down, he would just simply say, love one another. Like that was a simple sermon. And here is the command. And so what I want to do, again, because it helps us to, to not just have this big passage, but I want to zero in for a few minutes on 22. All right, get this, 122 through 23. And I just want to take this unit, this little paragraph, and here's the whole thing. Here's the commands. Crossway. Love one another and love one another earnestly. Because listen, we, we fail here. The best of us fail here. I'm not putting myself in the best of us, but the best of us fail here. This is massively simple and massively important. And so we focus on this, this, this one unit, this one paragraph, verse 22, chapter 1, verse 22. The big idea is to love one another. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another. Earnestly, from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For Isaiah, all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you, the, the gospel. So the chapter division, forget about the chapter division. Just go through verse 3. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Uh, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Crossway. Love one another. So simple. So important. I read a story just recently of a, of a young man who had just come home from Vietnam. And, and, and as many of them, if not all of them, needed a fresh start. And in this wonderful story that I read, he just came home from Vietnam. He his fresh start involved going to Judson College. Larry, you can tell me later if you've heard of this. It's in Illinois. Apparently, it's by a river called the Fox River. And this man, maybe people thought he was weird uh, because what he would do, even when it was severely cold, as it is, of course, there in Illinois, when it was severely cold near the Fox River at Judson College, he would go out to the river, and every day he would make sure that the ducks were taken care of. Every day. He would go to the nth degree because he loved the ducks. Why did this man love the ducks so much? Well, the story was told about this man that in Vietnam, that his unit, 
had been by and large shot down. They had been ambushed. Um, many of his friends had been killed. Uh, he had not been shot, but he lay there to let the, um, let the enemy believe, of course, obviously, that he had been shot and that he was dead. Uh, the only problem was he heard them coming, and they, he had hoped that they wouldn't come. He heard them come, and they were putting an extra bullet into every person dead or wounded or, in his case, maybe alive to just make sure. And so here they come, and, and then at just the right time, this, this covey, this flock of ducks is flying overhead, and the, and the, and the soldiers are distracted. And so they, they begin to decide, let's chase the ducks. Let's shoot at the ducks, and they don't come back. And the story is told of this man in Illinois who was back home, who was constantly caring. Why does he love the ducks so much? And the words were, he loves so much because he lives. He loves because he lives. And it's been pointed out that that is the message of this little unit here within the bigger section. Do you see the point is not the story as wonderful and as true and as amazing and as beautiful as it is. He, he loves, but why does he, go, why does he care for the duck so much? Because the duck saved his life. And at a much greater level in this little unit, 122 through 23, that's what it's saying. It's saying that Christians love because they live. If you live, it's not because you decided to live. Bo, Eric Bo Maccabee, did not decide to be born. Babies don't decide to be born. God calls, in His mercy, God caused us to be born again. And if you live by the grace of God, then you love. And if there's no love, there's a problem. Which, which means the problem could very well be you don't actually live. You don't love to live, but if you live, then you love. It's really simple in one sense. That's what this passage is saying. Now let me go back for a second. Let me go back for just a second to those questions that I asked you. Listen, listen, because these questions are all answered very simply right here. Do you remember? How does someone become a Christian? What is God's role and what is our role? What's the significance of the word of God for the believer and for the church? I'll give you a hint. If the word of God ever becomes anything less than central in this church, what are we doing? It must be central. What sort of behavior should be expected within God's family? Are you listening to me? How can Christian life be sustained and developed? Because there's life, but Bo's got to be fed. Right? Bo needs to grow. He's, he, he needs help. How can Christian life be sustained and developed? And these wonderfully helpful questions are really all answered here. And it's as though they're answered at the very end of chapter 1, and then it's as though they're repeated at the beginning of chapter 2, which is why the chapter division is not the most helpful and why this is a unit, 122 through 2-3. How is someone, how does someone become a Christian? By being born again from above through the word of God. By hearing and receiving with faith. Dear friend, there's nothing that you need to do this morning to become a Christian. You need to hear the word of God in the gospel 
and receive it by faith. You can pray like that man in the Gospels, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Look at it again there in verse 23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, which I'll remind you is just like the language in verses chapter 1, verse 4. But anyway, back in 23, through the living and abiding Word of God, the Word of God, the Word of God, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you, namely the gospel. Well, how do Christians grow? How, do, how is a Christian life sustained? Same answer, the word of God. Where do you get that? You better be asking, where do I get that? Look in the word. Chapter 2, verse 2, like newborn infants, Long for the pure spiritual milk. Sometimes the New Testament says, you're acting like babies and that's not good. This is a good time. This is a good time. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. How does a Christian grow? By the Word. How has somebody become a Christian? By the Word. What is God's role? Well, like everything. We're born again from above. What is our role? In response, and only in response to the grace of God, we believe and subsequently we obey. Or you could put it like this, we obey the truth. We obey the gospel. The central command here is to love one another earnestly. Hey, a couple quotes. Listen to this. The mark of the Christian life is love. Couple quotes. The mark of the Christian life is love. When you get a fresh start on life, love should happen. That's not like that's not like Oprah talk or Joel Osteen. That's that's when you're born again. When you get a fresh start on life, love should happen. The mark of the Christian life is love. So again, we need to say, God, help us. We need to say, God, corporate confession. Lord, in this, in this way, we have failed. Lord, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you that in this is love. Not that we loved you, but that you loved us first and you sent your son, Jesus Christ, who shed his blood, the blood of the Christ, the blood of the Lamb, slain. Having purified your souls, Look at it again, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly and from a pure heart. So you, so you just circle verse 22. A sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly. Well, you can see how in chapter 2, verse 1, that he's saying the same thing, right? If you compare 122 with 2 1, you can see, no, it doesn't seem apparent. I mean, if you're with me, you're thinking, okay, 22 is about love one another. Where do you get love in chapter 2, verse 1? And I just want you to get this chapter 2, verse 1, loving one another in the garden of God's people, in the garden, listen, of the local church. And I say again, 
do you call yourself a Christian, then you should be committed, even formally, to the local church. This passage is about the people of God. Okay? So chapter 2, verse 1, that, how does that continue to be about love? I'm saying this whole thing's about love. In the garden of the local church, we need to pull weeds. If, we, if you don't pull weeds, you're overrun by weeds. And so chapter 2, verse 1, has everything to do with love. Because love involves pulling the weeds. Love's not just some fancy feeling. Love does involve feeling. It also involves action. Love is self-sacrifice for the sake of another. Self-sacrifice to the glory of God for the sake of another. And in the church, weeds need to be pulled. That's chapter 2, verse 1. So put away. Well, now he's getting into the serious stuff here. I mean, he was talking about love, and that was nice. No, it's the same thing. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like, let's put it away from us, dear friends. Because 2-1 goes with 122. It's all about love. It's just that we've got to define love according to the Bible, which begins with the cross of Jesus Christ where he shed his blood for sinners. So here's what we've done. We did the big overview. We said that we could boil it down by God's people, chosen and in exile. There's one central command. And even the subcommand in 2-2, crave the word, crave the word. Even that goes with the central command. Love one another. And finally, we just think one more time about this phrase, elect exiles. Would you stay with me? My desire is never to overload a sermon with too much information. Final thing, elect exiles, which, of course, if you think about it, we love because because he first loved us. This is this elect Elect exiles is kind of a big deal. So let me just show you here in closing. There's elect exiles and foreknowledge. Very quickly, elect exiles and foreknowledge. You see the foreknowledge in chapter, in verse 20. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of you. You see it in verse 2. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father, I'm not telling you something to do here at the end of the sermon. I'm telling you about elect exiles. Elect exiles and foreknowledge. Foreknowledge does not mean God looked down the corridors of time and saw who would believe and who would not, and he chose us based on our first response. I'm just telling you, I don't have time to develop it. That flies in the face of the whole scriptural teaching. Foreknowledge means foreloved. It's an intimate word. Out of all the nations in the world, Israel, you and you alone, I knew. It's an intimate word even used in the Old Testament, often used, of sexual relations. Elect exiles and foreknowledge. Elect exiles and reprobation. Elect exiles and reprobation. Look at this in verse 7 of chapter 2. 2-7, quickly, 2-7. 
So the honor is for you who believe. My dear friend this morning, do you believe? Do you believe? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Christ Jesus has been put forward on the cross as a demonstration, as a propitiation, shedding his blood. Chapter 2, verse 7. The honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Notice this at the second part of verse 8. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So there's election and foreknowledge. It's commonly thought, it's commonly thought foreknowledge means God knew in advance who would believe. That's true. That's not what it's talking about. Election and reprobation, verses 7 and 8. Sobering truth, biblical truth. How about this? Election and holiness. Crossway church, you shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And I just get that, by the way, from 1, 14 through 17. Election. Well, God's in charge. I don't have to witness. I don't have to pray. I can sit on my laurels. Where do you get that from the Bible? Election and holiness. Chapter 1, verse 14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. And then finally, not only is there elect, elect exiles in foreknowledge, reprobation, holiness, lives of worship, lives of worship. 2-9, you're a chosen race. That's language that was used for Israel in the Old Testament. And he says to the New Testament church, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It boils down to this. A Christian is somebody loves the people of God, the word of God, and the gospel. That's it. A Christian is somebody who loves the people of God earnestly, the word of God, and God. And because he has had mercy on us, then this whole passage closes with 9 and 10, which says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let us pray. Father, to you be all praise given. Our great God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, help us to grow in the practical, massively important doctrine of the Trinity. We thank you that you address these believers and also us as elect exiles according to your purpose, O God. So may we praise you. Help us to praise you. Help us to live lives of holiness. Help us to share the good news. Help us to worship. Help us to fall to the ground in humility. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.